So hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Cameron Brooks podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Pete and Joel to tackle the topic of our most recent white paper publication, the five mistakes junior military officers make when transitioning and how you can avoid them. I think the inception of this white paper publication and consequently the topic of this podcast episode stemmed from the question behind the questions we receive from JMOs. Personally, I've had military officers ask me questions like, what does your process look like? Who are your client companies? What is your candidate success rate, et cetera, et cetera. When really the question behind these questions is, how do I make absolutely sure my transition goes as smoothly and successfully as possible? And if you're a longtime follower of our podcast, you know, we interview thousands of military officers every year and we've picked up on a few patterns. And we want you to make a smooth and successful transition. So we've compiled a list of the most common mistakes we see when JMOs make their transition. And we're going to share tips today on how to avoid them. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the the pod baton to Joel to get us. Intro, appreciate that. Um, You know, I think, you know, when I talk to people that are making the transition, getting out for the most people for most people and i know for me it included 22 plus years ago it's a bit nerve-wracking and they'll even say this to me you know it's i'm leaving something that i know that i'm doing well and that i've got a paycheck and um i know the people i know the culture and but there's a lot of unknowns and i've got to resign i mean we don't know any other really kind of profession that you have to resign and then go look for a job. Nobody does that. They look for a job, they find a job and resign. And so it is, it is stressful. And so the question is, you got most junior officers that come to us are 28, 29. Um, many, not all, many uh, married, some have children. And so, boy, there's just a lot of weight there. They want, so they're trying to figure out how do I assure as close as I can and making this risk, because it's a risky move, risk creates benefit, right? Uh, we, we take risks in order to get something that we want. How do I assure, reduce that risk to get what I want? I think that's what they're asking. And it's funny when they say, I think, not funny, obviously, but interesting when they say in the transition, I think what they mean, though, is how do I assure I get a job that pays me at least this amount of money by this date? So when I'm walking out of the military, I'm at least making, I don't know, let's just say $95,000, it's in a decent location and I can go to work and provide for my family. I think a lot of people say that. And I know that that's important, but that's not a transition. The service that Karen Brooks provides does lead to that, but that's not the service that we're providing. The service we provide for a transition says we measure success. We know we have delivered on our part when that person turns around in three to four years from the day that they stepped out of the military and they present a resume that's got a little bit of military on it, but three to four years of leadership experience that shows progression with an industry leading company in a role that allows them to build the foundation as a leader in corporate America and then puts them on the leadership track of a company. That's a transition. That is a clean break. That is a pivot. But it's way more than just, I've got a good job paying this amount of money in a good location and I'm walking out the door and have that. So I think it's important as we talk about these five mistakes today, that is what we're talking about in terms of mistakes that 
cause a JMO not to get to that point. The JMO to, 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 to do a do-over, to quit, start over again, maybe, or you know, pivot into a totally different industry. That is what we're trying to avoid. Or in other words, as Chuck Alvarez, our CEO says, we want to take them from, if their billboard says, um, if they were a billboard, you know, it would say, I am a junior officer with leadership experience and loads of business leadership potential to three to 45 years from that point saying the billboard now says, I am a business professional with business leadership experience with loads of potential that happens to have been at one time a junior military officer. That's a transition. Thank you for defining that, Joel. And I think it is important just as a context to set us up um, as we go through these mistakes to think about how exactly you define a transition and what that looks like long-term. Um, because as you said, all these mistakes kind of play into what that looks like for the future of your career and your life. So if we want to start with the first mistake, which is yeah, taking the I'm sorry, <laughs> Kicking the can down the road. Kicking the uh, can. You know, what does that mean, kicking the can down the road? It means uh, keep putting off the decision. Well, we're, we're conditioned as, as human beings to avoid pain. Yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to uh, face something that's uncomfortable. And so you, you as military officers might be sitting out there thinking like, you know, this work-life balance is not right for me, or I want more control over my career. I want to be uh, more reward for my performance or those are common ones. There might be others. And, and, but you don't have time or you use, I don't have time as an excuse to go start developing a, a preparation plan or what my options are. Or it might be that, hey, you know, I, it's not going to be that hard. Um, might have some misperceptions on it. But boy, you sh I, I think one of the biggest mistakes people is un not understanding what does it take to make the transition? What are the options out there? What's my marketability? What are the roles that I have? Because you can't, you know, avoid the other mistakes that we're going to talk about until you know where you want to go. Until mm -hmm. you know where you want to go, you can't put a plan together. You can't prepare. And so the mistake number one is to get lured by the next military assignment, putting it off and just taking it and missing your marketability that may be in front of you because they gave you a great assignment to a great location. I'll just do it in another two years. And all you're really trying to do, I think is, is in often some cases is just avoiding what you really want because you know, it's risky. It could be painful. It doesn't have to be painful. That might be too strong of a word. It can be risky and it can be uncomfortable. That's a better word, but there's so, you know, to, to jump, jump in and understand what's there. Learn about what options are out there and get the facts. One of the things, one ahead. of the things that I, I think about, and one of the, I know conversations that we have on a regular basis with officers is that the, the issue in my mind with mistake number one, kicking the can down the road, is we tend to think about tomorrow, not five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And I think sometimes that's okay. We're attacking and putting out fires that are right in front of us. But when a military officer is five, six, seven years into his or her career, there you said this, this optimal transition window. And 
instead of thinking where, what do I need to do today to be somewhere five years from now, as you said, they think, okay, well, that next assignment might look good. And so the big mistake in this is not not appreciating the window that you're in and the decisions that you make today are most certainly going to affect five, seven, 10 years down the road um, and, and just letting kind of life happen to you. And that's it. Maybe that's the mistake should be called. We call it kicking the can around the road, let life happen to you. So how do you avoid, why is it important? One, when you know your options, you're going to make better decisions. You can develop better plans. So how do you avoid that? Get, get the facts. This is what, about, what I was going to say earlier. Pete and I were having dinner with somebody the other night and they made a statement. You know, you can't you can't have dinner with anybody without making them a political statement these days. <laughs> and, uh, we'll, and, and we said to the, this person, well, where'd you read that? I read it on the Internet. <laughs> and Pete and I shook our heads. <laughs> no, come on, get you. Let's go get the facts and and find out what your future can really be. And probably the place to start while well, you can discover where to get the information may not be just reading a whole bunch of things on, on the, on the internet, but go talk to somebody that can, has experience and it can be objective with you um, to help you discover what's, what are the options? And, and, and this could, this it doesn't have to be just Cameron Brooks. I mean, this is a bit of a shameless plug or I wouldn't even say it's shameless. Yeah, because we are we're experienced with Pete and I sit, you know, sitting here, we're together, you know, in just in the transition alone, up over 40 years of experience um, here at Cameron Brooks, over 30 years experience together. Rob, you add him in, all of a sudden we're up over 40 years of experience at Cameron Brooks to learn what are the options. And there's just all these other resources. Yeah, that you got to find them on the Internet, webcasts and podcasts, but go get some objective information of what's there and then take that. And I think a great question is once you take that information of, of what's out there is ask yourself or your spouse to sit down and, Hey, you know, what, what is a happy, successful personal professional life look for us, look like for us five years down the road. So that's what I would say in number one, don't kick the can down the road, get objective, good information. And and find out what's out there. Use time, which is your greatest asset to you, especially if you've got a year or more. And then ask yourself and your spouse, who's probably your significant other's part of the equation, what does life look like for us five years from now? Because that will help you start developing a plan and preparing for that transition, which then I think actually this question, before you ask, ask yourself, what does a happy, successful personal professional life look like five years from now? Probably should see mistake number two, which I'll lead over to, to Pete. All right. Hold on. Hold on. That was a good intro. Let me just say this one thing real quick, because you said shameless plug for Cameron Brooks. And I, it reminded me, I was talking to a lady yesterday about her options. And one of the things I told her is, I don't want to convince you. I don't want to cajole you or kind of kind of verbally convince you to do something that you don't want to do. Because if I if I'm successful in convincing you to do something you don't want to do, you're going to be unhappy. The company that you go to work for is going to ultimately be unhappy when you leave. And then ultimately, Cameron Brooks is going to be happy. So when Joel talks about this, uh, find someone objective you know, if I was listening and out there and I didn't know anything about Cameron Brooks, the cynic in me might think, well, they're just trying to tell me to kind of go work with Cameron Brooks. Listen, when we have initial conversations with officers, folks that we've never met and that we're trying to trying to help them, 
that first conversation is very objective. It's not a sales pitch. It's not a convincing session. It's what are your options? How are you trying to get there? Let me help you think about what that might look like. And maybe Cameron Brooks is right for you. And maybe Cameron Brooks isn't right for you. And either way, the objective conversation that we initially have with officers, I have received feedback in the past, and Joe, I, I bet you have as well, that regardless of forming a partnership or not, it's helped them define where they ultimately see themselves and where they ultimately want to go. Mic drop. Okay, I'll edit that out. <laughs> that was good, Pete. <laughs> okay. Okay, so for mistake number two, um, confusing the importance of extrinsic versus intrinsic factors in career satisfaction and ultimately making the transition. When Joel and I and Rob and, and our team talked to military officers at initially, mostly what I hear, and Joel even mentioned it earlier uh, when he was defining the transition, mostly what I hear is um, I ask what's important to you and I hear things about salary and location and the brand name of the company. We call those extrinsic factors, things that are initially um, kind of visible from the outside, as opposed to the intrinsic factor, uh, factors or nature of the work, the oppor um, uh, like the opportunity in terms of um, your ability to be intellectually challenged and access to mentorship, access to development, access to higher levels of leadership in the organization, the culture of the organization, how you mesh with your boss and how you mesh with the team. These are the things that are going to ultimately hold your attention over the long haul, especially in this early stage of transition when it's not easy to, to initially move from the military to corporate America. Everything's different. The job's different, the company's different, the people are different, the function's different, the location's different in a lot of cases. And so it's easy to get attracted to the extrinsic nature, the pay, the location, the money. It's a little bit like getting married on looks alone. And I'm not saying looks aren't important. As a matter of fact, looks are usually what bring two people initially together. But looks are not going to be the thing that holds two people together for the long haul. It's going to be more of those intrinsic factors. And so we have found, and we have actually done data on this, we have found that when someone focuses more on the extrinsic than the intrinsic, it's high, there's a much higher likelihood of leading to that early career do-over. Matter of fact, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal back in 2017 said 40% of veterans leave their first company within the first 12 months of, uh, of employment. So how do you avoid focusing on the extrinsic and really digging into the intrinsic? I, I think the first step is one that'll probably come up in all of, all of our kind of how do you avoid these mistakes? One, set some clear goals. Um, where do you see yourself professionally? And then ultimately, how do you want to get there? And do that by setting some uh, lists. What's, what's extrinsically important to you? What's intrinsically important to you? And, and trying to find ways to um, um, weight and value the intrinsic nature of the work in order to transition effectively. I mentioned the Wall Street Journal uh, article a moment ago. 
uh, 40% of veterans leave their initial company in the first uh, 12 months. We have some statistics of our own. Um, through this process of the transition that we advocate and the transition we provide to military officers, 99% of officers are still at their initial company after the first 12 months and 93% of officers are still at their initial company after 36 months or three years. And so they are focused on the intrinsic, which allows them to get through this transitionary um, period. And as Joel said a moment ago, change the way they market themselves from military officer with business potential to business leader with a skill set who happened to come from the military. Yeah, Pete, if I could you know, jump in on that too. Please. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, I don't know. I think we can come across a Cameron Brooks that uh, certainly at one time, I think we're better that the, the extrinsic is not important. That's not what Pete is saying here. Right. Pete, or even hope, obviously hope you live, you live in Auburn with your husband, you know, and we made that work. Um, location is important. I live, I live in a location that I like, and you know what, I've got four children um, two are, you know, one's through college already, one's in the middle of college, almost towards the end. So to think compensation is not important to me is crazy. I like to be compensated. I like to live where I want to live. So it's not that it's not important. It's just the priority, especially when you're starting out. Should you take a job that pays you 20% less than the market value? Absolutely not. Because I think that's going to show you different um, different things that are wrong with the company and the position. But what Pete is saying is once you get past the, the name of the company, you get past the, the salary, you get past the, well, it's this great location. Got to have clarity before you go into that so you don't get enamored with these other things. To understand what are the intrinsic values people, the culture, what will you do? What will you learn? Learning is actually one of the most important factors in retaining people, that they feel like they're learning, that they're growing, that they are challenged. When I talk, you know, we don't have many, but when I talk to people that, you know, get out of into the three to four years of the transition and they don't make, they don't stay with the company, they move on. To me, it is clear that some of the times the reasons that they leave is that they didn't feel challenged, that they weren't learning, that they weren't growing, that it was a, a kind of a misfit on what they intrinsically valued and what the company could offer. So yeah, okay, how come you chose it? Oh, it was a really good location. It was a really good this. Or Pete, we've heard this how many times? I've heard it thousands of times. You know, it might be aggressive there, a thousand, but it's been a lot. Somebody calls me and says, you know, I don't need the Cameron Brooks partnership. I found the perfect opportunity. Okay, well, congratulations. Great. What, what, I'm just curious, before we, we part ways, and just curious, what made it the perfect opportunity? Oh, it's the right salary. It's the right location. It's almost like the top two things they say right off the bat. Yeah. You did a study. I don't remember the numbers. You looked at people that we had interaction with that ultimately did not come through. What percentage left their company after like one year? Do you remember what that was, Pete? I do. Over 50%, it was like low 50s, 51, 52, 53, left their company after the first, first 12 months. Yeah. And I think it's because it's a misfit. It's a misfit. And I mean, I don't know any of our alum, any, none, 
after three, four, five years that are living in a location that they don't like. I don't know any of them. I think I think the interesting thing, and, and Joel, Joel helped, for those who don't know, I've, I've only been at this company for nine years. So Joel helped me transition. And I remember having a couple of conversations with Joel and being in uh, specific locations, San Antonio, Texas, my wife and I grew up there. We've been known each other since high school. Um, that was really important to us. And what Joel said to me is, well, that's important to us as well. Right. We're, we want to show you to all the roles in Texas for which you're a fit. And that's what we're going to do. And that's exactly what they did. But but the but but when I was going through my transition, I made the choice and it wasn't an easy choice. Had a lot of pressure from my wife who really wanted to be in Texas, had a lot of pressure from myself who really wanted to be in Texas. But I made the choice. I want to launch my business career effectively and uh, in doing so, build a skill set that would give me ultimate control of where I wanted to live long term. And I was having a conversation recently with someone, you know, the question of location is not where do you want to retire? It's really where are you willing to start in order to launch your career? Exactly. You know, and the, I think there's, let's just color this in before we move on, since we're talking about location, which is one of the top extrinsic factors. What Pete hasn't told you is the other part of the story, which I think is really interesting. He's a development candidate at this, you know, industry leading medical device company. And he does, he ends up in San Antonio, Texas. It's his hometown. Well, I don't know how many regional managers or divisional managers are based out of San Antonio, Pete. How many division managers were based out of San Antonio for the greater franchise that you were in? One, maybe? Yeah, I think it was my boss. <laughs> yeah. so, unless you wanted your boss's job, that is it, that only one, you probably couldn't stay in San Antonio. So Pete gets an opportunity. Hey, we're ready. We've tagged you as a development candidate in our company. We want to grow and develop you. Please come to New Jersey. It's kind of like that. I mean, you polar opposite Texas to New Jersey, right? Right. You go up there and you do your thing and you do well. And they say, okay, we're ready to promote you again. And you're probably thinking, okay, let's get back to Texas. And they're like, no, we're going to give you New York City. You take that, you do well. And now another opportunity comes up, sends you back to Texas. Right. Where you could probably now spend a lot longer. Rob, and by the way, nobody ever forced you to do any of those things. That's right. Rob, on the other hand, really wanted to be in Texas. He ended, And he said, I really prefer not to go to the West Coast. Rob took a position with a company on the West Coast. In less than three years, took a promotion back to Texas. And the company paid for his MBA, for a chunk of his MBA at SMU. So I think these are the things that are hard as a military officer that you that that happen to you because but these are normal things. But you have control over these. You could say yes, you could say no, you put input, you can decide. And that is the beauty of the business career. And like I said, Rob and Pete and the other alum that we talked to weren't living in places that they don't want to be at. Get your, get your prior your intrinsic extrinsic factors aligned. Where do I see mm -hmm. myself in five years? What's in intrinsic? What's extrinsic? And align those. Just a little plug for New Jersey, by the way. Had an amazing, amazing time up there with my wife and at the time, very young kids. Um, but I knew it wasn't going to be forever. And we had a, a wonderful adventure. Yeah, I hear the pizza is really good. Oh, my gosh. Italian food. <laughs>
That's great. I I love it. Just like to circle back with getting clear on your intrinsic versus extrinsic factors. This is the importance of like sitting down with yourself and whoever is going to be along for the career life journey and ride and just making your list. And so you can reference that, go back and use that as your baseline when you feel like you're getting a little bit lost in, in what's happening. So, um, that's good advice, Joel, which kind of leads us into, you know, prioritizing intrinsic factors, um, you know, making sure that you are paired and start off with a really good company who values you mistake number three. Can you scroll down for me? (laughs) Sorry, man. (laughs) Playing it more editing. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Hope. This is in one hand, this is a double, this mistake number three is a double-edged sword. It's really good that there's a lot of companies out there hiring veterans. And the mistake though, is that junior officers are very different, unique type of veteran. You're not, you're somebody that's very different than an NCO that's retiring. Very different than say an E5, E6 or E or, or E3 that's, you know, E2 that served three, four years or uh, an officer that's retiring up to 20, 25 years. And there's companies that have these veteran hiring initiatives. And the mistake is that they lump everybody together in veteran hiring or hire military. You'll see this all over the place. There's videos of it. There's website pages for companies that veteran recruiting. Great that there's this renewed interest in, in hiring veterans. But just because a company hires military or veterans does not mean they understand the true, true unique nature and the value that a junior officer brings to the table. So what ends up happening, you get hired into a veteran hiring initiative as a junior officer, you're going to look left and right. And by golly, you can be sitting next to somebody that's actually already worked for four or five years in the military and was never an officer. And or that had five years of uh, business experience already, or you might hire sit next to somebody that's a retired officer in this veteran transition program. Um, and it could lead to, to things that are not the best fits because they're trying to plug and play veterans all into these like one types of positions or maybe a rotational program. And it can, and, and these end up leaving the junior officer feeling underemployed. What does that mean? It means I'm not using my skills. It'd be kind of like going into your, uh, in the military and when you first got out of college or the academy and the military saying, you know, we're going to put everybody, every single person, no matter what your background is, whether you're enlisted or an 18 year old, we're going to put them through this first year, two year type of assignment. And everything moves to the mean, right? Every, in order to make everybody happy and feel good, you got to move it to the mean, to the average. And as a junior officer, if you're highly ambitious, talented, it's going to feel like, oh my gosh, I got out because I wanted, I wanted more control. I wanted more opportunity to, for based on my performance. I wanted more compensation based on my performance. And it's going to feel like, oh, I got underemployed. So how do you avoid this? It's hard because there is a lot of noise out there. Go back to our dinner conversation. I found it on the internet. You know, if there's just a lot of noise out there. Um, back to another plug for Cameron Brooks. But you know, ideally, you can have somebody while you're in the military that can weave through and get all through that fog and find out, hey, who are the companies that want to start junior officers, talented ones, 
top performing ones, ambitious ones into roles that really allow them to build that, that three to four year track record of success. That's harder to find. Veteran hiring initiatives, not hard to find. Just Google that. Go to, but go to any Fortune 500 company website. Go to your transition assistance center. You can find those. But to really line up for a junior officer, opportunities with industry leading companies that allow you to make the successful transition, capitalize on your specific background, that it will challenge you, keep you engaged. Those are a little bit harder to find. And it is valuable while you're working in the military and you got to be preparing, which is another mistake that we're going to talk about next. You got limited time on your hands. So you got to first find them. And if you do want to do it on your own, it takes time. And I would say, how many, the question for you is, how many of those can you line up simultaneously? Most people say two to three. And I, that when I talk to you, I say, that's, that's, if you could do two to three simultaneously, you are way ahead of the curve. Most people can't line up any of them simultaneously. You might be able to line up one, but not many simultaneously and compare the options. So be careful of these mass opportunities for all military officers because sometimes they lead to underemployment. There is value of somebody that that is their core of what they do to find those opportunities that will align you, get to know you, what's important to you, and align them with companies and opportunities that meet your intrinsic and extrinsic needs. That allows avoid mistake number three. And um, I think that leads us to number four. I know I want to make one quick point. I know I keep doing that. It, as you're saying that, though, it reminds me of something we hear Chuck Alvarez, our CEO, say all the time. He feels like in, in his role, one of his primary roles in the company and leading the company is he's talking to the companies who want to hire military officers and he's vetting the, these roles. And what he says to us all the time is these roles are getting more and more complex. He's calling them and jobs because the roles that these military officers are going into are you're leading a team and you're solving problems and you're managing programs and you're managing a client or a customer, and you're having to think critically about this or that, right? It's all of these things together. And so when Joel's describing these veteran programs, I think that's not an and job. That's a singular, hey, let's get everyone in the pool and teach them what's going on, as opposed to the roles that we're talking about, which are we're looking for, as Joel said, leaders, um, um, uh, ambitious, mil successful military officers to get into roles and really lead people, solve problems, manage projects in this really an complex and job type of scenario. So, Pete, how does that play into, you know, we've talked about aligning the opportunities and you were know, you in the military. We assume the people in the military today are busy it's easy to go into mistake number four and not being well-prepared, meaning I just, I gotta do this, I gotta go here, I gotta go to NTC, I gotta go to Korea. Tell me more about this preparation or tell us more about this preparation piece. Yeah, it's, it, and I'll start, I know we cut a video on this the other day and it's been on our social media, but I'll start with a little bit of kind of a backstory in, in helping military officers think about it. You know, give, give this a little bit of thought. How much time did you spend in preparing for the college that you were going to attend in terms of your studying and your test taking and your extracurriculars and your applying and all the things you did. 
And then once you got to college, how much time did it take to prepare to get into the military? For many of you, you were in ROTC for three or four years, or you went to an academy for four years. And so that's years of of leadership training and development, all in preparation for for getting into the military and being successful on day one. And then, of course, you're you're in the military for five, six, seven years. And the thing that Joel's talking about, the thing that we see is military officers are spending weeks or a month or two thinking about, you know, writing a resume and maybe kind of coming up with some interview answers in order to prepare for something that can conceivably last four times as long as your military career. You know, you're you're talking, we're talking about getting into something next if you're leaving the military and coming to corporate America that you're going to spend 25, 30, 35 years in. And the idea that, you know, I'm so darn busy, so I really don't have time for that right now. I'll have more time later in order to prepare for something that you're trying to get into and get it right the very first time. And again, avoid the do-overs. It, it just is going to take some time. And I think that, and I'm even thinking about my own experience. And Joel, you, you mentioned I was in the military. You were too. So I'm sure you're thinking about your experience as well. You show up to work very early. You leave very late. You're going on a deployment. Um, you've got additional duties. I, we're all just really busy. Military officers are extremely busy with high, high op tempo. And it, it, sometimes it's hard at the end of the day to think about what's next because I'm just thinking about what's happening tomorrow. So I think that's kind of the first major reason. The second reason I think that military officers um, come to the transition prepared is they misjudge their timing. You know, we we hear this all the time. I know I do. Um, Hey, I've got a year until I'm getting out of the military. Well, that, that may be true. You have a year from today until when you finally fully separate from the military. But from a timing perspective, it's a little bit different. What we see is people start interviewing about two months before they start terminal leave, and they usually start working um, around when they start terminal leave or a little bit after. So actually, you're you only have four months. I'm sorry, eight months until you start interviewing, not a full year. And so this idea, oh, I've got a year, I've got all kinds of time. And and let, let's just say you have six months. You got to say, I'm going to wait until I'm six months until I get out of the military. I'm going to start preparing to get out. Well. If you do it that way, you've actually cut that time by two thirds because you're going to, you know, ideally start interviewing two months from there. So you can, you know, two months before you start, <laughs> two months from there. So that's two months before you start terminal leave, and then you start terminal leaving out of the military. Did that make sense? Would you would you weigh in on that little point right there to make sure that it came across clear, Joel? Sure. I think. You know, the bottom line, I think, Pete, is that people I talked again, this is that we just love these anecdotal stories. Talked to a guy yesterday, I said, hey, he's a year out from transition. Anecdotally, I said, how do you how do you rate rate yourself on a 10 scale on your ability to interview with companies today? If you were interviewed today, he said, well, I'm an eight. Uh, There's just no way this this can't this person's an eight. There's just no way. I mean, have have we ever talked to somebody who's an eight on a 10 scale without any reading any books on project management, Six Sigma, um, Lean, um, business leadership that, is not, that has not done an inventory of their strengths, opportunity areas, biggest accomplishments, and been able to phrase them in such a way that it's easy for companies to understand, to prepare, to capitalize on these opportunities for ambitious, high 
in high performing military officers. If you want a position like that, the bar is high. And companies are going to hold the bar high and they're going to need to see the value that you bring to them and name one thing in your life. Well, hopefully you, maybe you got lucky. Name anything in your life that where you, you, you did a wing it type of preparation and it ended up okay and it ended up well. I can't name a darn thing. I can't name anything that I've done that I've just, that was important to me and I just winged it. I didn't, I didn't do any preparation. And if you, something's important to you, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And if your transition's important to you and you want a career in the corporate world to be a leader, you got to prepare. And, and companies don't just naturally, even if they're a former military officer, don't naturally understand what you've done. Even though they value you, they've got to be able to hear what you've done and understand and apply it in the world. And you got to help them do that. One thing that we've added in the Cameron Brooks process in the last two years is we do a six-month check-in with all of our alum after we place them. One of the questions I personally ask all of them is, hey, just feedback for us. What's the biggest thing that you found value in from Cameron, in Cameron Brooks in this whole process? And they could come up with a number, number of things. And the number one thing I hear over and over again is you taught me how to explain my background to companies that allowed me to get offers, not an offer, offers. Most get offers, multiple offers from great companies and great opportunities. But if you're going to do that, you got to read, you got to do a self-inventory, you got to develop interview answers, and you got to practice. That takes time. That's the theory. That's, if, you, if you're like, oh, I might be an eight, seven, eight, nine on interviewing, test this theory. Call a friend or a family member who knows absolutely nothing about the military and try to explain an accomplishment, what you did, how you did it, and why you did it in three minutes. And let's and, and just see how much they actually understood. Absolutely. It, it's hard. Yeah. I hope it's probably looking at us like we need to move on here for the time, but I have to tell this story because I was at the Naval Academy giving a presentation um, to their to the trans for the transition office. And so I had a variety of people in this uh, auditorium in their engineering building. And I was talking about interviewing and about this very point preparing. And I had this, uh, um, this 06 sitting in, in the audience. I mean, wow, how many years has this 06 served? A lot. And I made this point about the importance of preparing and, and uh, asked the question, like, how well prepared do you, th just throughout the question, prepared you are to, to, to explain your leadership style so that somebody would understand it? And this, and this 06 kind of scoffed. Yeah, then that would be easy. Not a problem. I said, well, gosh, that's great. Hey, just tell me one tenet, one facet of your leadership style that you would want me to understand about you. And he was over here. He was over to the left, over to the right. He's stumbling. And after a minute, he just stopped himself. He's like, you know, I've been studying, practicing, doing leadership for 20 plus years. And you just proved your point. Wow. I hadn't heard that story before. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even it doesn't because you've been doing it, it's different than being able to talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. We need to keep moving here. Mistake number five. I know. I did want to say like one, one final note on preparing. I think one part of the preparation that maybe gets missed or <clears throat> isn't talked about as much is the 
um, mental preparation and the emotional preparation that you need for the transition, because I feel like that is a big switch and it's not just something you can, you flick off like the last 10 years of your life in military service and feel unemotionally, you know, like you can jump into the business world. So for me, mentally, when I'm preparing for a change or anything like that, I need to sit with that change for a little bit before I can feel prepared and confident stepping into the next chapter of my life or experience and things like that. So that I think is an important part of preparing early is you being able to mentally and emotionally feel confident in stepping into this next chapter of your life. So I do want to stress the importance of that. <laughs> so good, good point. Hope. And if we had more time, I'd tell you about my recent golf trip weekend where mentally I got out of my game and it was a disaster. So <laughs> you have to be mentally prepared, not just uh, technically prepared as well. All right. The next big mistake is, uh, all right. You can certainly do this on your own. There's look, listen, people do it all the time, do it on your own. And people go into corporate America and end up with really good jobs and end up in, in, uh, on the development track and have done it on their own. So I'm not saying you can't do that. It is harder as a non-traditional, meaning as a junior officer, you're not the traditional type of person that companies hire, getting past the filtering process. What does that mean? For, for you to apply to, sell, to, to opportunities, you got to go online. Even if you know somebody, if they're not a decision maker, like a true decision maker in the process, they can get you so far. But at a certain point, you got to put your resume online, create a profile online. And most often, you're going to get nothing. It's just going to go into this black hole where some algorithm is going to look at all this. You're going to get an email, got your stuff. Thank you. We'll get back to you. Something version of that. And you probably won't hear back. There was the USA Today had this uh, statistic, something like 72% of HR managers spend less than three minutes looking at a profile before they rule you out. That's the whole point is to rule you out. And that's if a human being is looking at you. That means you get a three minute look of what's on paper and because you don't have the functional experience, it's easy to not get past that first part. But let's say you do get past the first part and you get this conversation. Yeah, you got a conversation lined up. Oh, I got an interview. It's probably not a real interview. It's probably a screen with a talent acquisitions person. So there's a series of filters, resume, application, screening interview. All those are designed to weed you out, not hire you. Tell, say why real quick though real quick weigh in why why that doesn't make that may not make sense to people like why 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 are they trying to rule me out i think they're trying to fill a position yeah there's so many applications so many people there's so much noise out there right and in the why is they, the the talent acquisitions people's job is to get like about eight to ten qualified people to the hiring manager for the second to final round. So you got two, by the time you get to the key hiring manager, you got, you're the semifinals. Yeah. And the hiring manager is interviewing the yeah, most qualified. Yeah. The, he, he, right. It's not only qualified, it's the most qualified of the group. Right. And you might be the most qualified as a junior officer. You might be incredibly qualified, but your resume may not say I've got, this type of data analytics experience. I've worked in a manufacturing facility. I've sold, 
I functionally sold. And talent acquisitions people are trained to look for the function, not, not ability. Difference, right? What's your ability to lead versus what's your functional ability to lead people in a logistics environment, in business? They're trained to look at that. So it's very difficult to get through. And, and, and there are companies that do veteran hiring. So you might get in front of those talent acquisitions people like, oh my gosh, Joel, I've got a lot of things happen to me on LinkedIn. Great. Yes, you got a lot of activity, a lot of irons in that fire. Activity and irons are very different than I have a semifinal interview with a decision maker. Meaning if I get through this, I am going to be able to get to the final round within a week, maybe two, to get an offer. And the more that you get through all these applications and you're going through the filtering process, it gets frustrating. And eventually you get an offer and you're so frustrated. Listen, I'm just going to take this thing. And then I'm going to get a job and I'm going to get experience. And then I'm going to look for something else. I've actually heard that. I want to pull my hair out. That is not a career search strategy. That is not a transition strategy. Take a job and go look for something else. Oh my goodness. Don't do that. How do you avoid that? I know it's just, just this whole podcast is a shameless plug, but, but in reality, this is what we do. Find, find somebody that can get you past the filters. You probably can do on your own out there. A lot of people, many people could probably do one, maybe two, probably not simultaneously. But if you really want to get out there and compare options relative to one another to make a good choice, you want to do it simultaneously. Yep, Cameron Brooks is what we do. On average, you get 12, 13 interviews. Um, in two, three weeks, you probably go on four, five follow-up interviews. Most get multiple offers and you're comparing options to be able to make a good decision. So here we've covered these five mistakes and really the, you know, the title, the five you know, biggest mistakes that people make in the transition really lead to the, the biggest of the biggest mistakes. The biggest mistake, the largest mistake in a transition is doing a do-over. And a do-over in the transition means I go to work for a company and within, within the first three years, I'm leaving, I'm quitting, starting all over. And the reason why that's a big mistake, very often you gotta run back down the hill of all the things that you've done already and start all over again. It looks funny on the resume, companies get skittish at that, and looking at somebody that's gotten out of the military, that's quit, that's trying to start over, it's disruptive. Can you overcome it? Probably, and yeah, probably. And I probably, yes, but it's difficult. And you end up being behind your peers that have made the transition. So all five of these mistakes, any one of them, not all of them at the same time, all it takes is one mistake to lead to making the biggest mistake, avoiding the do-over. And really come back to Cameron Brooks and what we do. The service we provide is helping officers make the biggest trans, uh, make a successful transition. To do that, avoid the do-overs. To do that, Get out there and compare options. So that helps you get through the filters, get in front of companies that value your background, but just capitalize on those. You got to be prepared. And if you're going to be prepared, you got to start this process as early as you possibly can and use time that's on your side. I think that was a great commentary, Joel. I appreciate the insight. Definitely. Um, is plug. That's what we do to have someone out there that's doing a lot of the blocking and tackling as Pete likes to use that analogy a lot for you. Um, so 
I mean, just circling back to the beginning, it really kind of comes back to how you define your transition in the one, three, five, and 10 year mark. Um, and what's really important to you. That's the importance of making your list of what's important, your intrinsic versus your extrinsic factors, um, just to really avoid, you know, those career do-overs. Cause that's really what you're trying to do. You know, you want it to be as smooth and successful as possible. So defining what that means to you and really in conclusion, we hope that you can learn from these five mistakes or or patterns and avoid some of these pitfalls um, as you approach and as you make your transition. And I would also encourage you that if you found this episode particularly insightful or helpful that you share with a friend and we, we talk about um, leadership through influence quite often with our candidates and, and officers who are going through our program. And it starts with something just as little as sharing a podcast, maybe a friend who is kicking the can down the road and doesn't really know where to start. This is your opportunity to lead through influence. Um, but anyways, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you again on the next podcast.